take your Bible, join me tonight in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 2. And I've been trying to think ever since last week what the title of these series of messages I'm going to preach on Wednesday night. And, uh, you know, I've, I've just come up short of just about everything. And so maybe we could just put on Pleasing God 101. That's Pleasing God 101. Either that, making the, or keeping the main thing, the main thing. It's real easy in the day in which we live to get kind of sidetracked with good things, secondary things. And, and we are blessed by doing good things, secondary things. Uh, but we'd be more blessed if we'd do the main thing and keep the main thing the main thing. So you have your place there in the book of First Corinthians. And I'll be preaching out of chapter number 2, uh, verses 1 through 5. But I, I just uh, I want you to hold your place there and for a preface to the series of messages I'll be preaching for the next four or five Wednesday evenings. I want to just give you some verses. And I'll read you first Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. I'll read that for you first. And uh, if you'd like to turn there, you can. Then I'll, we'll turn to the book of Psalms 100. And uh, hey, if there's a fist fight, a nursery. It's not Ben's fault. It's that bird's baby's fault. It, he'll be... All right, teaching. Oh, oh, back. No, it won't be your fault, dude. <laughs> All right, and then let me read this for you. How many believe the Bible? Do you believe the Bible? Believe every verse. Now, notice this, verse thirty. You know it. You can know it by memory. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that wins souls. The fruit of a righteous, Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that wins the souls is wise. I think that's pretty plain, don't you? Notice, if you would please, in the book of Psalms, Psalms 126. And uh, that hurt me. I, I think I broke a rib when you did that, Miss Mary. <laughs> that hurts. Get as old as I am, you do that. There's side effects. Psalms 126. Now, don't get mad at me before we start. Verse 5. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth in weeping Bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You heard that old song, bringing in the sheaves? Bringing in the sheaves, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Maybe the reason there's not much rejoicing in Christianity anymore is when we come to church, we just bring ourselves. When we ought to be bringing in the sheaves. Let me read you another one in the book of Daniel, chapter number 12. In the book of Daniel, chapter number 12, 
And I read for you verse 2 and verse 3. The Bible says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Soul winners will be shining as stars in the firmament of God forever and ever and ever. The wise turn many to righteousness. I just believe I kind of in the same mindset as the Mercedes-Benz automobile company. I don't drive one. I would if I could. And the company and their automobiles rank in the top echelon of safety when it comes to cars being saved. You've probably seen the commercials of these cars hitting these, these pylons and these walls with uh, crash dummies. And, and they have somehow or another engineered the Mercedes-Benz automobile. It's built with an energy-absorbing body so that they, when they hit the pylon or they have an accident, the body is built in such a way that it absorbs the contact impact and it just not wrinkle up on, on the driver. That engineering feat is not patented. And now many other industries, cars and automobile industries are uh, beginning to copy that design. And someone asked the Mercedes-Benz company, why don't you why don't you um, maybe just, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Why don't you patent that invention? You know what Mercedes-Benz said? They're just some things too good to keep to yourself. Do you have any idea of anything else like that? There's just some things too good to keep to yourself. And I'm kind of under, uh, under the impression that maybe the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, redemption by blood, forgiveness of sins, grace, phenomenal grace, mercy, and the love of God is just too good for us to sit on and keep it to ourselves. You know, I read for you 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. And if we're going to talk about winning people to Christ for the next few weeks, uh, and I, please, I, I'm not going to do it in a condemning way. I'm not condemning anybody in the world. Uh, it, I'll tell you, the most fearful thing that you'll ever do is knock on a door, not knowing what's on the other side, not knowing what they're going to say, 
You stand there with your knees knocking, they open the door and they're mad. You're, you're scared and they're mad. Boy, that's a real good atmosphere to try to win somebody to Christ, right? You just broke in on their TV program or their dinner or whatever. Maybe a good fist fight between the husband and wife, but you just interrupted something. Nobody, I've never spoken to anybody in my life that does not have fear when it comes to sowing. No one. Now, some guys said they're not afraid, but all men are liars. That's what the Bible said. And liars shall be friars. That's my wife's favorite verse. But I read for you out of the book of 1 Corinthians, and, and now listen, this is a learning deal, okay? Let me tell you, let me, let me give you something that, that is not original, but I've been doing it for 50 years. Let me give you just a word. I bet Brother Jim knows the word. I bet he does. If you've got something you can write down, I will show you how to never be caught for what to say next when you're soul winning. You say, well, I'm not going to go soul winning. Let me tell you something that you can get on your husband's nerves the next time you want to get him real mad. You got a pen? Write this down. F O R M. And write it up and down. F O R M. Okay? Now I'm going to go over here to this guy. This looks like the meanest guy in the world. This one right here. This one right here. Now I don't know him, nobody. I don't, he just moved into town. He's been out of town or I just got out of jail or whatever. I don't have anything in common with him, but if I'm going to talk to him and I'm going to get him to a place to where he's not mad and I'm not afraid, I'm going to have to neutralize that conversation somehow. Is that right? Because him mad, me afraid, is not a good environment by which the Holy Spirit can work. So I have got to neutralize the conversation somehow, and I've got to make sure I'm the one that's controlling the conversation. F-O-R-M. You got it? F stands for family. O stands for occupation. R stands for religion. M stands for message. Uh, say, sir, how many kids you have? Great. Boy, girl, what are they? How old are they? Great. 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 Are they like mine, idiots? No, that's not you don't say that. <laughs> See, what I'm trying to do is talk to him about something that he's not scared to answer with. Is your kid still in school? Do they go to college? What are they majoring in? That's great. That's great. Say, by the way, what, what do you do for a living? Occupation. See? He, you what? Oh, you're why my mail's always late. <laughs> See, what you got to do now, if you're going to win anybody to Christ, you're going to have to let them think that maybe uh, you and him have so many things in common, he lives next door to you. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. Uh, occupation. Well, how long have you been a mail carrier? Does your wife work? 
as good looking as you are? Huh. Is there something else wrong with you? It's not your looks. <laughs> one, one and down, right? One and done. Hey, well, that, that's good. So you, you're a single parent. Now, that's not easy. Boy, I take my hat off to anybody who's a single parent, raise their kids. That's a, well, that's good. That's good. Uh, but uh, you, you, uh, uh, are, do you, are you affiliated with a, a church or anything? Are religion affiliated with the church? Uh, what, what, what denomination are you? Oh, really? Really? Uh, that, that's wonderful. You have a church? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or you can lie. Don't make no difference. Because <laughs> don't make no difference to me. Because I'm going to control the conversation. It don't make no difference if you lie or what. You know what I mean? Huh? Uh, but uh, you're a Baptist. Is, is, you're, you're a member of church locally? Hey, that's wonderful. Do you know your preacher's name? Hmm? Can you spell it? Can you spell it? <laughs> you see, it, it's, you know, what we got to do is just neutralize the conversation to where he's not mad and I'm not afraid. And, and, uh, and uh, so... Now, I, I, I know how many kids he's got. I know where they go to school. I know his occupation. I know he's a single parent. I, I know that he's a Baptist. I know that bye-bye. Uh, and now, uh, F-O-R-M, message. So could I ask you a question while I've offended you? Now, I'm just wondering before I leave. If you died today, do you know absolutely for sure, 100%, that you go to heaven? That's wonderful. Could you tell me about the day you were saved? Now, he don't have to do that now. But everybody in America is saved. Everybody in America goes to church. But they can't tell you about it. And if they can't tell you about it, they may not be saved. And there's no use losing the opportunity. You're there to try to win the man to Christ. And you're there to try to be of service to him and to the Lord. And so... Uh, you know, can you tell me about it? And, uh, and, 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 and Doug could tell me about him being saved. But now look, F-O-R-M. Just write it on your hand right there when you go in. You say, well, that's cheating. Well, that ain't the first thing you cheated on in your life. You might as well cheat on something good. Huh? And then, then you get into the message. But what you've done is you, you, you've, you've killed that atmosphere. That you, you, you don't you you make a you make a friend out of him. You, you you identify with what he's doing. You're interested in his life. You're interested in him. And what we're interested here at our church is not putting another notch in your new soul winner's New Testament, as the old boys did in the West when they killed somebody and filed a notch on their gun barrel. We're not keeping up. God is keeping up. And what we want is people who are really genuinely saved. Can I use an example and not, and not make you mad, Brother Robert? I went to see Brother Robert and his wife. And we concluded while we were there that Robert was not saved. But there's a lot of folks in Robert's home that day. The, the mother-in-law was there, and the kids were there, and, and the wife was there, and so forth and so on. And so I decided uh, not to shoot the gospel gun like it was a shotgun. I decided probably that it would be wiser if I could get Brother Robert to come to church. 
And the next Sunday, he came to church and walked down the aisle and got saved. Now, I could have, I could have embarrassed him there in front of the family, and I, I could have probably talked him into saying some words, and if he didn't talk as big as he is, he'd have whooped me and slung me over the front yard, and that's not too spiritual either. But uh, what, what I'm saying is we want people to be genuinely born again. We want to make it as easy as possible, but we want to make it uh, uh, as urgent as possible and make sure we realize the urgency and the, and the simplicity of the gospel. Uh, a black man came to work uh, where I was working. I was running the tool and die business from the second shift because I was going to, I was going to seminary and, and I told the company I was going to quit. And they said, no, if you'll just be the superintendent on the, on the swing shift, then you can run the whole dye business from that shift. And so they hired a, a black man uh, out on the press. And, and, uh, and I, I walked by and I talked to him that night. And I, uh, the Spirit of God impressed me. You, you need to try to win him today, somehow or another. And the day just went on and went on, and I never did get an opportunity to win him to Christ. The next day, a train hit him and killed him. Now, if he's not saved, his blood's on my hands. When I get to heaven, according to Ezekiel, his blood God will require at my hands. And I wept, and I've thought about that for years. But when God says to do something, we've got to realize that's more important and a lot bigger than our fear. I mean, when I got saved, I was a thumb-circling introvert. I was, I had to slip upon a mirror to comb my hair. I was so embarrassed. And you say, well, preacher, you just don't know just how backward I am. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Watch what the Apostle Paul says. And look, not, not condemning anybody, let's move from here to here in our walk with God. Let's not get sidetracked with money and buildings. Let's not get sidetracked with beautification. We must not, we must not get sidetracked with secondary things. We raise money to build buildings to put people in them, that people might be saved. That's it. Plus nothing, minus nothing. It's not to impress Burleson, although it should for what we have to pay. Right, Brother Billy? And it's not to impress anybody else. It's not to impress anybody else. You say, Lord, mercy, what a good offering. We'll only have good offerings as long as we keep the main thing the main thing. And God did not say, go into all the world and raise all the money you can. God says, go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel to every creature. Let's learn quickly from the master soul winner, the apostle Paul. Verse 1, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Now, we won't finish this tonight. I already know that because we don't have much time. Now, notice. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. The Apostle Paul, afraid? The Apostle Paul, trembling? That's what it said. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The main business of the church on this earth is to win the loss to Jesus Christ. The main business of our church is to win the loss to Jesus Christ. Dr. Neil Moody was witness to a lost person one day, and the lost person looked at him and said, Sir, it's none of your business where I'm going. Dr. Moody said, Sir, that is my business where you're going. What's your business? What's my business? My business is getting people saved and telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the business of every child of God to be constantly winning the loss to the Savior. Every Christian. That is our business. If we do spend God's money on any other thing with any other motive, this thing will shut down like a bad dream. Because our business is not raising big money so we can brag about how big our offering was. Our business is raise big money to build big buildings so we can put a lot of people in them and preach the good news of Jesus Christ to them. Man, you guys need to say amen, even if you don't agree with me. It's tough preaching up here and you guys sitting out there like at last week's funeral. Let me give you three things quickly. I'm going to do it. Hey, I'd like to see that happen this year, great and mighty things. Would you, would you like to see great and mighty things happen this year? Well, we've done had a starter, buddy. Last Sunday was a starter. That was a great and mighty victory in our church. I mean, everybody... Everybody chipping in, doing what they can do. That's what a church is all about. It's not two or three guys or two or three families carrying the load. It's everybody doing what they can, and God gets the victories. Amen? And so, let's you and I look quickly now. I want to show you something quickly. The Apostle Paul, the great soul winner, the guy that was afraid and trembled when he preached to these folks at Corinth. And you know what kind of people they were. We already talked about that. Notice, first of all, his plans for soul winning. Look at his plans in soul winning. Verse number one, watch this. And I, brethren, when I came to you. He came to them. They didn't come to him. He went to them. They didn't come to him. He went to them, and he went to them with a definite purpose. He went to preach the gospel to them. He went to win them to Jesus Christ. He had a plan and he carried it out in two ways. Now notice how he carried it out. Number one, he carried his plan out publicly and he carried it out, number two, privately. 
Notice, if you would please, we read for you again in, in the Bible, in the book of Acts. And we'll go back to Acts chapter 18 where the church was started when Paul went to the Corinthian church and started the church in the book of Acts. And in verse number 18, notice, if you would please, he went with a plan. When I started this church, I only knew one thing, so winning. That's all I knew. Showing it. Preaching the gospel. That's all I knew. Don't know much don't know much more than that right now. Because I don't want to know too much more than that to get me sidetracked. He had a plan when he went to Corinth. First of all, he had a plan to preach the gospel publicly. Notice verse number one. The Bible says in Acts chapter 18. And verse, verse 1. And after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. That's what we're reading. Now, verse number 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. He went where people were. He went to the synagogue on Saturday. He knew he'd have an opportunity to stand up and witness and preach to them. He did not preach the law of Moses. They were surprised when he stood up and said, But I have the fulfillment of the law of Moses. I have the one and true sacrifice. This one, when he sacrificed himself, he sat down at the right hand of God, ending all sacrifices. And the Bible says, as he reasoned with them in an argumentative, in a persuasive way, he said, Jews and Gentiles both believed. Publicly. Now, we do that around here every Sunday. We do it around here twice Sunday. Not only that, we do it on Wednesday night. We publicly encourage folks to get saved. If we sing a song, it ought to be to show people and encourage people to be saved. If we do anything in this church, it ought to be so that when we give the invitation on Sunday, so that we give an invitation, people will be saved. If we clean the bathroom, if we mop a floor, if we do anything, it ought to be when the invitation is given, God can save people. That's what this thing's all about. Is it easy to get sidetracked? Come on now. If we're not careful, some of the women will get mad at Mary because she's got certain rules in the nursery. Well, if you didn't have rules in the nursery, I know some kids that would organize a, organize a crime syndicate. And they'd be charging protection in the nursery from the other kids. Listen, can I help you a little bit? Mary, don't try to instill anything in the nursery that I don't want her to instill. And it's an amazing thing to me. Some of you folks haven't been in church two years, and you've suddenly learned more than I have in 50. And we can start arguing about how to paint the nail in the primary department and we can start talking about the phone hanging committee. We got to get the phone hanging committee involved or somebody ain't going to like the phone that we buy. I tell you what, you just go where they do all that you want to. We ain't going to do that around here. We're going to go soul winning. We're going to win them. We're going to wet them. We're going to worm them. We're going to wean them. And then we're going to work them. 
That's what the church is supposed to do. All this other stuff is secondary. Paul had a plan. Notice Acts 18, verse 7 and 8. He had a plan. He was going to win people to Christ publicly, and he was going to win people to Christ privately. Notice this. The Bible says in verse 7 and 8, Acts 18. The Bible said, And he departed thence and entered to a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. That means just next door. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and was baptized. Publicly, privately. When in the lost must go beyond the walls of Joshua Baptist Church. And what's so sad, many churches limit their evangelism to the inside the walls of the auditorium. They're the ones that says, I'd like to be a member of a small spiritual church. A small spiritual church. In other words, they want to be big ducks on a little pond. So when they quack, everybody can hear them quack. But if your pond gets big enough, your quack ain't much. Just another quack. That's our next point. A soul winner ought to always be humble. You say, preacher, where do you get that? Well, if you hadn't asked me, I'd have closed. <laughs> Notice not only the plan... Now, look, I'm not, going to admit, I'm not going to get mad at you if you don't win 10 people of the Lord this year. I'm not going to get mad at you if you don't win anybody of the Lord. Please don't get mad at me if I don't win 10 this year. I'm just telling you, this is what we ought to be. And this is the plan God has for us. No other plan is available. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Your world is compassed where you work, where you sleep, where you eat, where you play. That's your world. Me and a missionary was playing golf down in, down, way down almost in Mexico. Since there's nobody around, we thought we'd just splurge. So we got us a couple of caddies. Them little boys walked out there and they was about this tall. I said, Bickish, are you going to stand and watch that boy carry your clubs? He said, you watch me. And that little old boy drug his clubs and the other boy drug my clubs around all those holes. And we got to one of the holes and we're going to tee off. I said, David, do you know if that boy's saved or not? He said, well, I don't know why he's saved. I said, why didn't you ask him? He said, well, I think I will. He walked over and he looked at that little boy and he said, son, are you saved? The little boy looked at him, big smile on his face, said, yes, sir, I'm saved. So David came over and said, he's saved. I said, that's wonderful. Would you go back and have him, have him talk, tell you what tell you about it? He went over and he said, son, tell me about when you were saved. He said, well... 
me and my brothers were playing basketball. And the basketball fell and hit a rock and ran out in the street. I ran out in the street to get the ball, and I heard somebody. <laughs> and I turned around, and the car missed me about that far. That day I was saved. They're going to get him to heaven. David sat down and one of the little boys from the court took a word. I wonder how many opportunities we let slide. Didn't I say we? I wonder how many opportunities we let slip by. And I wonder how many people God sends our way each day with the intentions of us doing what saved people normally do and we never say a word you say but I've got a ministry at the church thank you save me from doing it but God hadn't called me to do that soul winning is not a call a soul winning is a command you see now notice Paul had a plan, but notice the procedure uh, that, you know, the procedure for so when in, in verse 1, he not only tells us why he came, but he tells us how he came. Notice in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number uh, 2 again, and I, and I read for you in verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Don't tell me how much you love Apollos. Don't tell me how impressed you were with the thunderous preaching of the Apostle Paul. I know some of you love Cephas and some of you love Apollos. I didn't come to compete with anybody. I just come to deliver to you the most wonderful message in all the world. And that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. The procedure. Uh, just a humble fella. Uh, you know, I came not with excellency of speech. I've seen a lot of folks, and I've gone and sold with a lot of folks, and they really try to impress the person that they're talking to with their biblical knowledge and uh, their importance. Paul never did do that. He said, I did not come with excellency of speech. Kind of reminds me, and I'm going to close because it's, it's time to close. It reminds me of uh, the story of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. I don't know if you watched that one on television or not, but I'm sure it's not like the one out of England. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson was out on a camping trail. And they had had a good meal, and so they laid down and went to sleep. And during the middle of the night, Sherlock Holmes was awakened. And he said he didn't want to be awake by himself, so he just punched Dr. Watson. And he asked his faithful friend, Watson, when you look up to the sky, tell me what you see. Watson looked up to the sky and he said, well, I see millions of stars. Sherlock Holmes says, no, what 
Does that tell you? Watson pondered for a moment and he said, well, astronomically it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets and stars. He said, astrologically, I observed that Saturn is in Leo. He said, homologically, I deduced that the time is appropriate a quarter past three. Theologically, he said, I deduct when I look up that God is a great, big, wonderful God, and God can do anything. Meteorology, I suspect that we'll have a beautiful day tomorrow. And Watson looked at Sherlock Holmes and said, Sherlock, what do you see when you look up? He said, you want me to tell you what I see when I look up and see all those stars? He said, yeah, tell me what you see, what you, what you surmise. He said, well, I look up and see all those stars. I conclude that while we're asleep, somebody stole our tent. See the difference? See the difference? You're not that impressed, folks. I'm not that impressed, folks. I'm there. It is humbly the best I know how to explain Jesus saves. And anybody can do that. Thank God Paul didn't go with excellency of speech and a lot of words. He just went in the power of God. And I like that. And if you'll notice in verse 3, so went into the human experience. Notice verse 3, fear, trembling. I wonder if Paul was fearful and weak and trembling when he went so winning. I wonder, knowing what that guy did and people he won and the churches he started, he evangelized the whole Mediterranean seacoast almost single-handedly. And he says, when I came to you, I came to you in weakness, fear, and trembling. Is that what it says? Have you ever heard of Dr. D. James Kennedy? Pastors, I don't know if he's still alive or not, but he used to pastor, and he probably still does, a great Presbyterian church in Florida. And this may surprise you, but Dr. Kennedy was one of the greatest soul winners in the world. Presbyterian church who believe in the sovereignty of God and probably embrace five-point Calvinism and was one of the better soul winners and his church was one of the best soul winners, soul winning churches around. And someone asked Dr. Kennedy, why can't you teach people to witness in a classroom? Dr. Kennedy looked at the man and said, what do you do for a living? He said, 
I train people to fly airplanes. Dr. Kennedy said, sir, how many lessons in the classroom would it take for me to learn to fly an airplane? Would five lessons? Would ten lessons? Uh, would 200 lessons in the classroom teach you, teach me to fly an airplane? The instructor said, not my plane. You know how to fly an airplane? Practice. You know what's wrong with Baptist churches? You can't teach soul winners to be soul winners in a classroom setting. You got to go to the door. You got to experience that fear. You've got to realize your weakness because his power is made perfect in our weakness. The Bible said that you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Shall be witnesses unto me. Until we go to the door, until we knock on that door, until we take our first trip in that airplane, You ain't never, that's not a good word, you are never going to be what God wants you to be in the classroom. Just don't work. 